Welcome to an inspirational teaching by our guest speaker of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. A very good morning. I'm so glad to be here this morning. So before I go into the word, I'd just like to start with the story of uh, Naaman, which is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 5. You know, in this story, Naaman is a warrior, he's an officer, he has several soldiers under him, and we find that he contracts leprosy. And when he has leprosy, there's no cure, and there was a stigma against leprosy then, and there's a stigma even now. We all understand that. So he didn't have a cure. So he had a servant girl in his house who had been taken captive when they raided Israel. And this servant girl knew about a man of God called Elisha. So she tells her mistress, who is Naaman's wife, and she in turn tells Naaman, saying, why don't you go to Elisha, the man of God, and he will heal. And some of us who know the story, you know Naaman contacts Syria's king, and king makes a letter, and uh, the Israeli king thinks that he's trying to war against him, etc. Elisha sends forth saying, no, send him up here. So Naaman goes to Elisha, when he goes to meet Elisha, Elisha doesn't come out to meet him. Instead, he tells him, go dip yourself in the river seven times. Now, Naaman is very upset. He's upset because he came all the way from Syria. Number one, Elisha never came out to meet him. Number two, he's saying, are there not better rivers in my own land? That I have to come all the way here to just dip myself and have a bath in a river here. As he's angry and he's going out, his soldiers tell him, Master, listen, if this man of God had told you something big and something complex to do, wouldn't you have done it? He says, yes, but he's told you this simple thing, why don't you do it? Naaman goes, dips himself in the river. The seventh time when he comes out, his skin, the Bible says, was like a skin of a baby. He's healed of it. Why am I telling this story this morning? This is not the sermon that I'm preaching on Naaman. Why am I telling this story? I'm telling this just to remind us. Many of us may be at different maturity levels in the Lord. Some of you probably are more mature than what preachers are. Some of you probably have been more years in the Lord than what we men of God may be or the preachers may be. But what is important is that this morning as you have come, the Lord may give you a very simple message. That can change your life. You may think, hey, it's so simple. I've been doing this all my life. Why can't I go back to Syria and have bath there? Why should I have bath in Israel? But my friends, as you obey the Lord in the little that he gives us, then we will be able to grow closer to God. Yeah, can you turn to someone and say, you must change? Now turn to somebody and say, I will change. I will change. Amen. That's a little difficult part. Hussein Bolt. He won the gold in 100 meters race for the third time. Three Olympics. Can you imagine? Olympics happens how many years once? Four years once. So for 12 years, he's been consistent in his performance. Sub 10 seconds for 100 meters. Of course, he won some gold medals in 200 meters, etc. Someone did an estimation. In all of the three Olympics that Usain Bolt competed in, he ran for 115 seconds. That's all he ran for. In all the three Olympics that he competed in, he ran for 115 seconds. And guess how much money he made? He made 119 million US dollars. That is more than a million a second. 
How many of us want a job like that? <laughs> I'm sure pastor will pray some of you will have such a job. Because the tithe will be higher. <laughs> One million dollars. We're not talking about Vietnam Dong or Japanese Yen. Or, you know, we're not talking about rupees. We're talking about US dollars. One million dollars per second. You know, many of us want to be there. Most of us know the glamour and the glory of Usain Bolt for that 10 seconds that he runs. But how many of us know this part of it, where he exercises? For four long years, what did it say? Not a day off. Not a day off. He practices for this one event that he needs to participate in. That's in Olympics. And of course, other competitions that are there that come up, that he participates. What I'm trying to tell you here is this, that most of us want to be in that position of glamour or success or glory. Most of us desire wanting to be something. Maybe to preach like Pastor Victor or to be successful like a businessman XYZ or to be an athlete like Usain Bolt or to be a cricketer like maybe Virat Kohli or to be a footballer like Messi. Apart from sports, in several other areas, we do look up to people and we say, hey, they're so successful, I wish I could be like them, like this person in some way or the other. But what we fail to realize is this, that stars are not born in stadiums. Stars are born in the gyms where they focus and where they commit themselves saying, my body, my mind, my focus, my commitment, everything is on this one thing. I am an athlete and I will do only those things that will enable me to win and be the successful person that I need to be. Most of us want everything, but what about our habits that we have? And this is where I want us to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. I'm going to read this from three different versions for you. And I want to encourage you to join along as we read this. Maybe read out loud. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Did you understand? Read along. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. That's from NIV. Let's read the NLT version. It says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. I'd like to read it from the message version, which brings it out very beautifully. It says, bodily fitness has a certain value, but spiritual fitness is essential for both this present life and for the life to come. You know, when it comes to physical training, when it comes to maintaining ourselves physically healthy, most of us do a good job. Though some of us still struggle with it. Maybe you're not able to keep away from certain foods or maybe you're not able to wake up and run in the morning. But most of us keep to a walking routine, maybe a eating pattern, sticking to a certain diet, maybe jogging, maybe exercising, maybe resting well, sleeping well. We take care of our physical being very well. But the question this morning to ask ourselves is this, how about our spiritual being? How are we taking care of our spiritual being? The word for training that Paul uses in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8 is called gymnase. Now gymnase is a word from where we get gymnasium. Gymnasium. So he is talking about gymnasium that will lead you into better godliness. A spiritual gymnasium. So this morning I want to invite you 
to come to the spiritual gymnasium. No matter how good you are. You may be a beginner. You may be a person who's very mature. But what I'm talking about is being able to build a better stamina spiritually so that we are able to stand strong. So I want to share with us this morning on the topic of spiritual disciplines. What is spiritual disciplines? What is spiritual discipline not? What does it do to us? What is the goal of spiritual discipline? And also to understand some aspects of this discipline. I'm not going to cover everything. Each one of them is a message by itself or a teaching by itself. I'll just give a gist of each of them and then you can go ahead, read it and understand it. Now, many of us, you know, when, when, when I began to jog a few months back, I drew inspiration from John and Charles. They run 10 kilometers under one hour. I said, man, I should run also like them. And the first day I began, I bought a new pair of shoes for myself and, you know, got new shorts and wanted to jog. When I began to jog, after 500 meters, I was already puffing and panting. And I was like breathless and saying, hey, man, why can't I do it? And I began to do that on a regular basis. Now to run two kilometers is okay. But then it didn't happen the first day. Because I had become physically sloppy and fluffy and fat and whatever you call me. You can feel free to call that. That's what many of us become spiritually. How's our spiritual stamina this morning? Many of us, one little adversity, we begin to question God. One little problem in the family, we begin to wonder if God loves us. One little spiritual battle the enemy brings in our lives, we puff and pan and we wonder, what is God trying to do in my life? All kinds of questions come into our minds. So this morning, I want to invite you to come and build your spiritual stamina by following the spiritual disciplines. Now the question is, what is spiritual discipline? Let's look at the definition. What is spiritual discipline? It is a regular practice of certain habits which will help us attain full potential of what God has planned for us. It's habits that we develop so that we can move from where we are now to the position of where God wants us to be. Otherwise, what happens, many of us continue to remain where we are even after many, many, many years of salvation. You came to know the Lord maybe 10 years back, 5 years back, 2 years back, some 20 years back, 35 years back, but you have remained in that situation or you made very little progress, but you still haven't attained to the full of what God has purposed for you. So spiritual discipline is bringing in that habit. You know, I'd like to quote C.S. Lewis from his book, Screwtape Letters. It's a beautiful book where in a very illustrative manner, he's talking about Uncle Screwtape, who's a senior demon, and he has a nephew called a Wormwood, who's a junior apprentice demon, and he's training him on how to ensure that the Christian's People, first of all, don't come to know the Lord. And if they come to know the Lord, how to draw them back? And when this is the advice he gives, I'll read it for you. Uncle Screwtape reproaches apprentice demon Wormwood for permitting his patient, that is, a person, a human being, to come to know the Lord, his patient to become a Christian. He goes on to say, nevertheless, he says, there is no need to despair, Wormwood. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp. Who's the enemy he's talking about? God. <laughs> he's talking about Jesus. From the enemy's camp and are now with us. And listen to this carefully. He says, all the habits of the patient 
both mental and bodily are still in our favor. What he is saying is, this person has come to know the Lord. He has given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love him for a while because as long as he remains in the old habit, it is easy for him to slip away. It is easy for us to capture him back. So what Uncle Screwtape is telling Wormwood is, don't allow them to change their habits. And part of Christian growth, part of spiritual maturity is development of new habits, new ways of doing things, learning to be different from what we were. If we continue to be what we are, whatever we were doing earlier, even after we've come to know the Lord, there is something wrong. We've got to change. There has to be a change in the habits that come along in our lives. You know, I'd like to illustrate this with this. Just imagine, I call Arun, <laughs> Arun who's here. Arun says, I'm very hungry, Philip. Can you give me something to eat? I tell him, Arun, I got your Domino's pizza. And it was not even on discount. I just got it full price. <laughs> it is macaroni, double cheese, with soft crust, cheese filled in it, with jalapenos on top and olive topping. And it's got, man, it's amazing. Why don't you eat it? Arun looks at this and says, what is this? I tell man, you don't know it's a pizza. He says, no, I only eat in soft food. I will not be able to digest this hard food. Then I tell him, fair enough, I will give you a loaf of bread. Would you want to eat it? He says, no, not even bread. I think for a while, and after some time, I bring to Arun a bottle of milk. And his face lights up and says, wow, that's what I'm used to. Why don't you just give me the milk? You know, many of us as Christians have been many years in the Lord. But we continue to consume only the milk and we have not gone on to eat the meat that the Lord has for us. So this morning, I want us to read Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 to 14 to understand what the writer of the Hebrews here is saying. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 to 14, it says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Verse 12, In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God all over again. You need milk, not solid food. What do you need? Milk, not solid food. Let's read verse 13. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Verse 14. It says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves. What have they done? Trained themselves to distinguish from good from evil. Now the writer of the Hebrews is wanting to explain using the Old Testament as the base, the salvation about the life of Jesus Christ. And he begins to realize, hey, these guys haven't grown. They're still in milk stage. They're supposed to have been meat stage by now. And then with sadness he writes saying, I cannot speak to you these things because you will not understand or you're not wanting to understand or you cannot understand. And he says, the mature who move from milk to meat, eating solid food, they will be able to understand and distinguish between the good and the evil. Now, when it comes to physical development, we all know the infants start off with milk, don't they? Consumption of milk. Many of us are familiar with Dr. Spock's book, which he wrote about the child development. 
from starting from conception up to five years, what are different things that happen at different stages. He writes saying, when should a child start talking? When will the, in the first year, how many words it will be? In the second year, how many words it will be? When will the motory skills begin to improve? How, when will he be able to align some things when he's putting things together, etc., etc.? And when there's no development in alignment with these stages, the child is called as retarded growth. Retarded growth. That means he's supposed to already be doing something, but he's not yet doing. It's called retarded growth. Similarly, there are emotional development stages. There are Kohlberg's moral development stages. Sociologists have come up with social skills, social development stages. But what about spiritual development stages? Don't we have spiritual development stages? And that's what Hebrew, the writer, is trying to say this. Let's look at some of the spiritual development stages. That are there. This is put together by Fowler. And it's based on 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14. He's talking about we being seekers, people who want to know God, people who want to understand God a little better. We come to know the Lord by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, then move on to becoming new believers. And after being new believers, we learn the fundamentals of the scriptures, basic discipleship, move to young Christians. This is where you're a youth as a Christian. Doesn't matter how old you are, but you are youth as a Christian in terms of spirituality. Then you get empowered there to begin to do things on your own. And then you move on to advanced steps in discipleship, where we are talking about mature, mobilizing, discipling others, investing into others' lives. And then you grow into servant leadership, where just your personhood begins to minister to others around you. You begin to mentor, you begin to develop leaders, servant leaders who can serve others. And these are the different stages of leadership or rather of spiritual growth that is there. Now the question to ask ourselves is, what stage are we stuck in? Am I still behaving like a new believer? Teach me, teach me, teach me all the time. Am I behaving still stuck in that fundamental discipleship thing or maybe moved to intermediary? Have I moved on? 20 years in the Lord, 5 years in the Lord, 2 years in the Lord, what is the growth in the Lord that you and me have had? And this is the challenge that I want to bring to us this morning. We cannot afford to remain where we are. Did you know, biologically speaking, when there is no growth, you are dead. There has to be growth. There has to be constant growing that happens. And that is relevant even for our spiritual growth, for our spiritual being. I want to run us through some spiritual disciplines that we have. I'm not going to go through all the things that are there, but I'll run through a few of them. This I've taken from a book called as The Spirit of Disciplines by Dallas Villard. I read a passage about spiritual discipline of his. I was reading this as part of my course. And then as I was reading this passage, I could not understand the passage. It was so much of depth and so much. I mean, it took me half a dozen times of reading. I still couldn't understand it. And then I went on to buy the book and began to read the book in order to understand a little bit more about what he's trying to say. What he does is he divides the spiritual disciplines into two. Disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. Disciplines of abstinence. Let's talk about solitude. What does solitude mean? Solitude means being alone. Just being alone with God. Now, in a culture like ours, in the time of technology that we live in, this is a very, very difficult thing. 
just to be alone. The most scarier part is we live in such a virtual world these days in the Facebooks and the Whatsapps and the Twitters and, the, uh, and everything that is virtual. We are scared to face ourselves. Solitude helps you to face yourself in the presence of God. Face who you really are. Not having a pseudo view about yourself, but to face who you really are. Let me clarify here. Solitude is not talking about loneliness. Not talking about cutting off our social relationship. I'm talking about moments in a day. Moments in a week or a month. Depending on what is possible for you and what level you are in. Just taking time to be alone with God. Sometimes not even praying. Not even worshipping. Just enjoying God. We all love and we enjoy doing things for God. But what God is saying is, enough of your doing. Can you just come and enjoy me? Just being able to just grasp the fullness of the presence of God around us. And just to learn to understand what his love is. Let's look at solitude and silence usually goes together. Silence is just being able to cut off all noises, including your own words. You know, as a youth uh, leader, I had to undergo youth leadership training when I was a student. And part of that eight or nine days camp that we used to have, on one of the days was called as a silent day, no words day. We should not speak to one another, and we just should be quiet and listen. Believe me, silence can be quite loud. <laughs> It's very, very difficult because many of us have got obsessive control disorder of looking at this little device every now and then. Don't we? Every now and then. You know, every now and then. You know, those of you who don't understand Hindi, just checking if any message is there. And if sometime the message is not there, you think you become socially retarded. Not really. What you're doing is you're trying to take time off silent before God. Did you know you cannot speak and listen at the same time? At least listen effectively. If we have to learn to listen to God, we got to first learn to be silent. Are there those silent moments in our lives in a day? Five minutes. Can you try five minutes of silence from tomorrow? Five minutes of solitude? Believe me, when we did Lead Like Jesus Revive for the youth of this church, when we were at Glorious Promised Land, we gave them five to ten minutes to be alone, not talking to anybody, be solitude. And many testimonies came up saying how God spoke to them. Now, was God speaking all through? It's just that we're learning how to listen now. And for that, we need solitude, we need silence. Talk about fasting. Many people think that Jesus did not fast or Jesus told the disciples, particularly in Luke chapter 5, when people questioned saying, John's disciples fast, but your disciples don't fast. Why is it? So Jesus did not reprimand them for fasting, but this is what he says in Luke chapter 5, verse 33 to 35. I'll read it for you. It's not there on top. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours are, are go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. In those days, they will fast. What does fasting mean? 
Fasting is not starving. It's not just giving up on food. It's to say to God, God, I'm abstaining from what controls me in order to prioritize my relationship with you. There are several examples of good fasting in the Bible. Daniel, for example, is given. Jesus Christ himself, 40 days he fasted. And you look at different other examples. Isaiah gives an entire chapter to what is right fasting and what is wrong fasting. All through the scripture, you will find that fasting as a discipline that was there. So I want to encourage you. Not to just starve yourself, but to take the time of fasting and say, God, I want to grow deeper in you. I want to know you more. You can start by skipping a meal if your health permits that. If you're not diabetic, you can start by skipping a meal. Skip your breakfast or skip your dinner or skip your lunch or skip all three meals. But make it a habit to weekly once to fast or every fortnightly once to fast. Or worst case, every month wants to fast, not just as a ritual. But all these disciplines is to tell God, God, I want to grow to what you want me to be. I want to grow into intimacy relationship with you, Lord. An intimate relationship with you, Lord. I don't want to remain where I am. What is it that is holding you back? One of my friends uh, who lives in the U.S., he had gone on a digital fast. And I, believe me, it's easier to skip food these days than the digital. <laughs> digital fast. He did not check his Facebook, email, etc. for one whole week. And he said, wow, this really works because this gives me time for solitude and it gives me time for silence and it gives me time for prayer. And he continued on that for a very long time. But not all of us can afford to do that. Most of us do work on this mobile. Our emails come in this, our approvals come in this, everything. We can't do that. But find ways. Be creative in just trying to communicate to the Lord. Lord, me, my desire to grow closer to you is more than the WhatsApp message I need to read. It's more than the like I need to post on the Facebook. It's more than just attending a call that is, keeps ringing every now and then. It's more than anything else, Lord. More than the food. More than anything else. I want to just depend on you. That's on fasting. I won't go into the rest of it. Let's go to the disciplines of engagement. Study. Most of us may be used to reading the word of God for our devotion. You know, you read the scriptures on a daily basis, which is good. You need to continue to read the word. But you've got to also take time off to study the word of God. There's a difference between studying and reading the word of God. Reading the word of God for your devotional purposes, excellent. The Lord speaks to us through reading. But you've got to get deeper into the study of the word of God. Now, some of you may be saying, ha, Full-time ministers like Pastor Victor and Charles and John and the rest of them can do the Bible studies because they have all the time in the world. This is not meant only for full-time ministers. This is meant for corporate people also like us who may be working. It doesn't matter how busy your schedule is. It's being able to take the time saying, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to see what your word says. And I want to draw deeper into you. Taking time to study the word of God, to break it down and to understand what is the Lord trying to tell here in this passage or in that passage and relating one passage to another, making that as a discipline. My friends, let me tell you, when I was 15 and a half years is when I came to know the Lord. Most of the messages I preach are not that I read in a book and come up. Most of the messages are what I do my personal Bible study. And I've been working ever since. It's not that you know, I'm a full-time minister or anything. If it's possible for me, I'm very much sure it's possible for all of us. 
study. Let's look at worship. You know, this is taking time off for personal time of worship. Of course, not undermining having the discipline to come for corporate worship, which is very good. I like the quarterly ones worship time that happens. On 14th, it's going to happen again. It's a time where we just come, don't ask God for anything. We just worship God. What is worship? Worship is declaring God's worship. How worthy he is. Like joining the angels in Revelation chapter 4, saying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lord. Worthy is he to receive all glory and honor and power. Worthy is the Lamb of God that was slain. It's just telling God who he is. God, you're compassionate, you're loving, you're merciful, you're a provider, you're my Jehovah Nissi. Just telling God who he is, is worship. Now, when it comes to worship, it's very easy, very often in the corporate worship. Of course, there is a sense of corporate worship in which we feel the presence of God in a very special way, which is needed. We must be part of corporate worship. But I'm also talking about having discipline of worshiping the Lord in your personal life. Just those times of worship. You know, when I pray for something... And the Lord does a miracle, I fast and worship. I don't fast and pray, I fast and worship just to tell the Lord, Lord, it's you. If not for you, this wouldn't have been possible. I mentor some of the worship leaders, and now I help them out. No, I'm not a worship leader myself. I'm not a singer either. When I sing, people ask, what did you say? So I don't sing. Uh, I have a good voice, but I don't sing. Okay, let me clarify that. I, I don't sing, so I'm not a worship leader. But then when I'm mentoring them, and when I see them worshipping on Sundays, they're from different other churches, when they, when they come and lead in worship, they jump, they raise their hands, they're so excited for God, and I appreciate them for that. I say, hey, good, you did a great job today. But when I meet them one-on-one, -on -one, I ask them, how is your personal time of worship? Is it restricted to Sunday morning alone or is it there from Monday to Saturday? Are you jumping in your bedroom as we worship the Lord like you do on a stage? Are you raising your hands and worshiping the Lord at home like you do in the church? Are you getting so excited like you do on a Sunday morning even back in your home? And that's worship. That's discipline of worship. If that is not there, Sunday mornings is performance. It's not worship. And God is not interested in performance. What God is interested is in a heart that worships the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Let's look at a few more and we will move on. Fellowship. I'll go to fellowship. You know, it's also important to have fellowship on a regular basis, to come together. Here again, let me tell you an illustration that I learned young as a student. You know, we were told, if there's a heap of coal burning and you take out one coal from that and keep it away, what happens to this coal? It goes off. It dies out. Okay? You take it and put it back again. What happens to this coal? Because of the warmth that is there in this group, it just warms up one another and keeps the fire going. It's the same for us. Sunday morning when we come, we just don't get up in the morning and say, hey, today is it a good day to go to church or not? It's not deciding on Sunday morning. Coming to church should be just a Routine practice to say, I need the fellowship to stay on fire for the Lord. The moment I go away alone, my fire can die out. I need the other believers to keep the warmth in me. And it is not confined to Sunday alone. What about the Wednesday care cells? Or what about the during the week when you meet one another? What do you talk about? You can talk about the pink movie. You can talk about Virat Kohli's century. No harm. But also talk to one another and say, hey, how's your prayer life going? 
Can we pray together? Can we do a Bible study together? What is fellowship? It is very simply defined. It is two fellows in a ship. That's all it is. Just to be able to warm ourselves together and to keep going. The rest of it, I will leave it to you for you to go back and study. I suggest two books, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster and Dallas Villard's The Spirit of Disciplines. And there are many other books that are written on this topic. You will be able to understand a little further. But in order for us to understand this a little deeper, let's look at Jesus' life and the disciplines that he followed. You know, our God is a God of order. Our God is a God of order. He's not a God who he wakes up one morning and says, hey, let's do this. He had already planned 2,000 years back when Jesus is going to come. He's put order in the stars that he has created. He's put order in the plants that he has created. He's put order in the way our bodies are made. This Hubble telescope that is there, the more they see into the universe, the more scientists are amazed at the patterns that exist in the universe. They're just amazed at the patterns that exist. My friends, our God is a God of order. And Jesus came forth to show us what the disciplined life means. Let's read Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Jesus, Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Mighty One, the one who knew was going to resurrect again. He said, I lay down my life. No one else can take it from me. The one who knew he is the creator God. He needed that time with the Father. He in the human being showed to us how much we need our time with the Father. A solitary time together. Matthew chapter 26, 38 to 42. Several examples. John 17 you will find that Jesus' life was filled with moments of taking time off to pray. Whether it was before he went to the cross, before he chose the disciples, before he went into fasting, before he got tempted, before he started his ministry, you will find a pattern that Jesus constantly prayed and prayed and prayed and depended on the Lord. If Jesus needed it, how much more don't we? Let's read Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. Jesus, did he have fellowship? Let's read that. He says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. What is another word you can think of for custom? Habit, practice. That was his routine that he did. Week after week, he would go to church, synagogue, where he would worship, where he would hear the scriptures being read, where he would know what it means to give an offering, where he would see people coming and fellowshipping together. Jesus did this. He went week after week to fellowship. So don't decide on Sunday morning whether you're coming to church or not. It should be your custom. Custom as in not in negative word of it's a ritual, but as in something that I need. Is it custom that we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner? It's a need that we have. So it's become a custom that we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Correct? So that's the way we got to be when it comes to coming to the church. Of course, we know that he studied the scriptures. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13. We see when he is tempted, what did he do very often? When he quoted to the devil, what did he say? As it is, how did he know as it is written? He had taken time to study. He had taken time to study. And all through his teaching you'll find, the scriptures say so, but I am telling you so. He knew his scriptures well. Now, he knew it so well because he had studied it and he had committed to his memory that he had memorized most of the scriptures. That when the devil tempted, he did not say, just wait a moment, I have highlighted it in my Bible, I will look at it and I will come back. 
Jesus did not do that. He just had committed it to his memory that he could recall the word that he had studied and he could just quote it to the scriptures and have all the victory that he had. Now, if we have to become like Christ, we need to begin to do the things that Christ did. That's as simple as that. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Study his life. Understand what he did and begin to do the same. It doesn't matter what kind of job you are in. It doesn't matter what kind of studying you're doing. It doesn't matter what kind of responsibility you hold at home. It doesn't matter what kind of responsibility you hold at office. Discipline is for all. Whether a newborn infant, does a newborn get milk every now and then fed? Whether the baby cries or not, the mother feeds the baby because that is a discipline that comes from there on. And we got to learn to develop this discipline like Jesus did. You know, generally speaking, we as human beings don't lack a desire to be wanting to be what we ought to be. We don't lack a desire. You know, many of us desire to be worship leaders like how Gladwin did today. Many of us would like to preach like some of those great preachers that are there. Many of us would see somebody like Pastor David and say, wow, I, I wish I could pray like him. Many of us may wish to see somebody else minister and say, I wish I could do like him. There's no lack of desire. There's no lack of wish. But the problem is to commit yourself to that wish and the desire and say, I'm going to focus myself. I just don't look at the 10 seconds that Hussein Bolt ran. I look at the four years of effort that he put in. And I want to see what can I do as a discipline. In order to do that, we need to commit ourselves. What are some results of our discipline? life, spiritual discipline. First of all, it leads us to full maturity in Christ. If we have to mature, if we have to move beyond this milk bottle, you know, we know a child who is four, five years old now, but still cannot eat even chips or kurkures or chapati or bread. She has to still be fed by grinding the food, mixing it up and fed like a semi-solid food. Imagine if this child grows up to 16 years old and still needs to be fed with semi-solid food. Imagine if this child gets married at 26 years old and still has to be fed with semi-solid food. How will that be? The child is not attaining to the maturity that he or she needs to be. And Christ's purpose for us is that we will mature in him. And spiritual disciplines brings that maturity deep within us. What else does it do? It helps us to get from where we are to where we ought to be or where God wants us to be. It prepares us for a battle. Bible uses several images or metaphors to talk about disciples. One of it is we are soldiers. You know, morning I was talking about Babu Uncle who's in the defense forces and how in a defense force you need to be disciplined all through. You're preparing for a war that may never come. But you still ought to be disciplined. You still have to rise up early morning, do your job, clean your own stuff, set up your home, do your own things. The discipline and the rigor, no matter how powerful a weapon the country has, the soldiers still have to be disciplined. We know we have the power of heaven behind us. We know the name of Jesus that is above all names is with us. We know the power of the blood of the Lamb of God is with us. All that is there, no undermining that. But we are saying, in order for us to 
bring to that full fruition the power of the Spirit, power of the blood, power of the name of Jesus, power of the angelic host. We need to learn to discipline ourselves. And the Bible says that in spiritual disciplines will help us to move towards that. It brings order into our lives. When there's no order, there's only chaos. Our means that God is using, uses for helping me to practice, to develop a new habit pattern within me. We need to change our habits from where we were to what we ought to be. Now, having said this, let me also tell you what spiritual discipline is not. Because if I just stop here, you'll go back thinking, Philip is preaching legalism. We are not gone back to the law. I'm not talking about legalism. What spiritual discipline is not is also what we ought to understand. Practice of spiritual discipline does not earn us more love of God than when we are undisciplined. Doesn't mean just because I'm more disciplined or he's more disciplined, God loves him more than he loves me. God loves all of us the same. It's just that when I'm disciplined, I'm able to allow whatever God has placed within me to surface out and to grow into maturity. Spiritual discipline doesn't make me more righteous than the other person. I'm already righteous in Jesus Christ. But spiritual discipline helps me to gain that stamina to be an overcomer. To be a person who overcomes the temptations that we face. You understand what I'm saying? The love of God doesn't change. Christ has given us everything that we need by his grace. Only thing, how do we realize it? Let me give you an example. A few years back, we were posted in another country. So we sold off our car to a friend of ours. Okay, and uh, before going, because we thought, okay, one year it will be lying out here. We were going definitely for a one-year period, so we just left it. So this guy was very enthusiastic, and he said, hey, I like your car. You used it so less, and blah, blah, and he bought it. After about a month when we were abroad, we called him and said, hey, how's the car doing? How are you doing? He said, the car is still in the garage. <laughs> Haven't learned how to drive. Then, oh, I said, fair enough, doesn't matter, go for your classes, get your license done. After three months, we call him, he says, how's the car doing? He says, Philip, I still haven't started driving. The car has the potential to move him from point A to point B. But he needs to have the discipline to learn to drive the car. He needs to give it the time of day that it needs. He needs to give it the commitment and the focus it needs. It's the same with us, my friends. God has given us everything that is needed. But we get disciplined in order to be able to reveal more of Christ in us and through us. And that's what spiritual discipline does. One warning, when we find that spiritual discipline is without grace and without Holy Spirit, what happens? This is what happens. Number one, it leads to legalism. The moment there's no grace, there's no Holy Spirit empowerment in the discipline that I have, you can become legalistic in praying every day one hour, fasting once a week, reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures. It can become a legal activity to prove my righteousness rather than to say, God, I want to know your righteousness. Secondly, what does it do? It also leads into externalism and judgmentalism. When we do it without grace, graceless discipline, or when we do it without the power of the Holy Spirit, what happens? We begin to look at others and compare and say, look at him. Is he a pastor? He doesn't even pray for one hour. Look at me. I am praying for one and a half hours every day. It becomes a judgmentalism. 
if it's without the Holy Spirit and grace. We need to understand, in order to quicken the discipline, also we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we look at others, we need to be able to deal with them. It can also lead to self-righteousness. Saying, I'm right, he's wrong. This is the way I do it. I remember one guy came and asked me, Philip, how long do you pray in a day? And that's a question most of us wouldn't want to answer. And I said, no, no, tell me why. He said, I pray for three hours a day. At that time, no, many years back, I really said, wow, this guy prays three hours a day and look at me. I'm not even able to pray one hour a day. And I was like going into guilt, etc. But then I realized that is self-boasting, self-righteousness. Our spiritual discipline will lead to me dying and Christ living more and more. If spiritual discipline is leading to me becoming more and more and Christ not being seen, then there's something wrong. It's done with my own strength. Finally, spiritual discipline can lead to pride. We may land up having a more of self-esteem than what we ought to be, an inappropriate, exaggerated view about ourselves. We need to be careful. When it comes to pride, my one word of warning always is pride is such a subtle thing. It's such a subtle thing, you never realize when it comes. In a book called Meat Not Milk, the author says, Pride is so subtle that you can become proud of being humble. That's how the subtlety of pride is. So we got to be careful in that. Finally, what is the goal of spiritual discipline? I just quote Chris Hall here. It says, the goal of spiritual discipline is neither to become a disciplined person nor to fall in love with disciplines themselves. But the goal is to experience Christ formed within us by the power of his Holy Spirit. The discipline, it's not about the discipline itself. It's not to get so comfortable saying, I'm doing this, this, this. What is the goal of all this is that Christ be formed inside of me. That's the ultimate goal. All these disciplines, so how much of Christ we reflect in our lives. Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he says this, Discipline allows us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. Now, if I want to be mentored and become like Pastor David, I got to spend time with him. I got to see what he does. I got to watch him. I got to observe him. I got to learn from him all what he does. If I don't give him the time, I say I'm too busy for everything else in life. Can I be mentored by him? Will I learn anything? Will I be transformed like David? Not at all. So if we have to be becoming like Christ, spiritual disciplines allow us to spend more time with him. So we can see Christ, we can feel Christ, we can hear Christ, we can sense the presence of Christ, we can study about Christ, we can understand a little bit more that will transform us more and more to be like Jesus Christ. And that's the ultimate goal, what we are talking about. Like 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says, we are being transformed from glory to glory to be like him. And that's the goal we are talking about. What next? Let me close with the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. We are all in a race, Paul says. But we got to run as if we are going for the prize. And he also brings the clarity to say it's not the prize that will perish, but it's a prize that's eternal. And he says, I don't want to live a nameless life, beating, boxing in the air aimlessly. 
But I want to have a purpose. I want to live with a goal in my life. I want to move towards something. And Paul uses several examples all through his epistle. One of the things that I like is when he says, I press on to take hold of what Christ has taken hold of me for. And pressing on is not like this. It's pressing with full force to say, I got to take what God has purposed for me. And that purpose, my friend, is that we will live with the purpose of becoming like Christ. With that underlying foundation, we say, for us to become more and more like Christ, we need the discipline. It's not the other way around. So, I want to encourage you today to make a decision saying, Lord, bring discipline in my life. I don't know how orderly or how disorderly your life is. I do not know any of you how you live your life there otherwise. As a youngster, I had one principle as a bachelor. Never get married to a girl looking at her only in the church. Because in church we are different, outside we are different. I don't know your life, what it is outside of this place. But all what I want you to know is that make the decision saying, I don't want to just box in the air aimlessly. I want to run the race like I want to win the prize that's eternal and want to be like Jesus Christ. So make the decision. I do not know. I listed several spiritual disciplines there. I do not know which you're strong in already, which you're struggling in. Can you make a decision saying, Lord, I want to commit myself to being a disciplined person so that I can mature in my spiritual walk with you. Can you make that commitment saying, Lord, no matter what happens through the day, no matter how busy I get, I will still take time to wait on you. You know, when you grow in the Lord, when you mature in the Lord, as you come along, there comes a time where the disciplines don't matter. Because you're beginning to enjoy God so much, the disciplines really, does, not that it doesn't exist, but it is not the main thing. It's like this. How many of us drive a car or ride a bike? The first time you started to learn to drive, you were conscious of where the clutch was, conscious of where the brake was, you were conscious of where the gear lever was, you were conscious of everything else around in the road. Were you not? It was hard work initially. But after some years of driving, is it about shifting gears and pressing the clutch? You don't even realize how you do it. You do it with reflexes, but you reach the destination. Spiritual discipline is like that. Initially, you may have to be very conscious. You have to consciously keep your hand on the lever. Consciously keep your leg on the brake. Consciously keep your leg on the clutch. Be careful about what is happening all around. But as you grow in the Lord, it will become such a natural process. Discipline itself will not matter. What will matter is your relationship with the Lord. Amen. for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.